So I see you as a human being um, and not as an adversary. So, hey, Adam. Hi, Beth. (laughs) I'm Beth Hampson, and uh, I have lived in Melrose since 2005. Um, I'm a former teacher. Now I do professional development in schools. I am a mom. I have three kids. I'm a wife. Um, Yeah. Nice to meet you, Beth. (laughs) Nice to meet you, too. Um, so I'm Adam Federico. I've lived in Melrose since 1978. Um, I am a dad of three kids, and I am an educator as well. I'm a principal of a local high school. Um, and yeah, I'm excited to talk to somebody somebody new. So where do you, I guess this would be good for me to ask you, where, yeah. where are you originally from and what was that like where you grew up? Um, it's sort of two answers. So for the first 11 years of my life, I grew up in Millbrook, New York. My dad was a teacher, um, and he worked at a boarding school called the Millbrook School. The Millbrook school. And uh, so I grew up there for the first 11 years, and then we moved to Greenwich, Connecticut. Okay. And um, I spent the rest of my, my youth there, and there are two very different communities um so well i don't i guess for me growing up it's it's um i grew up on the same street that i live in live on now i live across the street from my parents actually so which is kind of funny or i don't know sad or i'm not sure (laughs) i don't know what the right no it's it's good hopefully they're not listening um but um you know it's it's been interesting to sort of start out as like the younger couple with young kids. And now I feel like I'm kind of like one of the elder statesmen on the street and like the, one of the grumpier old guys in some (laughs) respects, but, um, you know, it's been, it's, I've enjoyed it for the most part. The fun, I I think it was interesting was I didn't actually want to move to Melrose after college. My wife liked it here and she's like, no, we should stay here. And I was sort of on the fence. Um, but she really loved it. So she, even though she's a transplant, from the Cape, she took to Melrose right away and, you know, ended up saying, let's just stick around. So that's um, awesome. Yeah, it's been good. So. That it, it's interesting to think about because I've lived in Melrose longer than I've lived anywhere else in my life. Mm. Right. And I've only lived here since 2005. And I feel like sometimes that sense of place, that connection to my youth and my childhood, um, I miss that. And I think to be able to still be in the place where you grew up would be, I I think I'm sort of envious of that sometimes (laughs) (laughs) because I feel disconnected. It's yeah. I mean, it's funny. Like in many ways I love it. I love like my, my kids all went to the schools that I went to Mm -hmm. and you know, um, they've had teachers or coaches that I had, you know, there's all these funny connections or their friends are kids of my friends from high school. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also hope that like, you know, I want to, I, I want to make sure that they feel like they can move on and move beyond Melrose too, if that's what, what they want. I think, you know, I think it's important to like branch out too and, and have those experiences. But I do, there is something comforting about this place. And I feel like, um, I think no matter when you came here, it's, I think that's a common theme for everybody is sort mm-hmm. of like the, 
there's a comfort to this town and um i i you know it's not, i hope, i hope everybody experiences that you know i think we can we can all agree on that and that's important so i guess can you briefly describe your personal values i i think for me um i think right at the top is loyalty you know i i um i think loyalty family um Kindness, you know, I think for me those are, but I, I, the idea of just like sticking together and and whether it's a a team or a family or an organization being, you know, being true to your, your partners or whoever that is, you know, and, and, and sticking by people, whether it's a tough time or an easy time that to me, that's really, um, if nothing else, that's really important to me. Um, I think, you know, for me growing up too, that was a, something that was, really ingrained in me the idea that, you know, through thick and thin, you're going to stick together and, and that's how you overcome adversity um, or disagreement or whatever it may be. So I'd say that's right at the top for mm -hmm. me. How about you? I think for me, it, it the word that comes to mind is justice. Um, I think I've always been very justice oriented um, and have always bristled when I see injustice. Um, I don't know if that was influenced by the very affluent, uh, sort of greed-oriented town I grew up in in the 80s. Um, but I think my whole life I've always come back to wanting to serve in a way that betters life for people generally, right? That um, I've always been really aware that our society is really unequal mm. um, and that I think I've worked almost my whole going into education was about um, looking at that inequality and I was working in D.C. Um, and doing my practicum teaching and student teaching in the D.C. public schools and I grew up in Greenwich, Connecticut, going to Greenwich High School and going to private schools. And it was so glaring, um, the difference in those schools. It, it, it was hard to make sense of. When, when I was an assistant principal, um, you know, doing, doing sort of the discipline and that kind of work, I, we used to always talk about that, you know, when people would say, well, how do you, how do you deal with those kids all day long? And, 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 um, you know, I should say, well, there has to be somebody in the building that loves to deal with these kids, mm -hmm. which, and I loved it. I, I love, I love discipline kids. You know, I, I just think they bring, they bring so much to the table and they're so interesting. And, um, you know, if you get past not taking it personal, mm -hmm. they're just fascinating mm -hmm. and they're fun. And, um, you know, I, I, I agree there are people, there are people that will say, oh, you know, they'll assume one thing about these kids and then you get to see that other side and, that's the you know that those are the best things you get to experience seeing the, whether it's a, a student struggling with reading and you see them get it or whatever the case may be um those are those moments that i think any educator really enjoys um well i see i mean in our training i actually do restorative practices training and right. um so discipline there you go <laughs> <laughs> and um that has always been my favorite part of teaching too i my favorite part of teaching was when there was conflict in the classroom was working that out. I mean, I didn't love conflict in the classroom, but that animated me 
and because it's about relationships, right? The content is important, of course, but getting to the content doesn't happen if we haven't addressed those needs, those relational needs. Um, and I think behavior is communication. When kids act out, it's because there's an unmet need. And so as educators, to me, it feels like my job is to understand, you know, what is the unmet need? Are they not able to read? Are they hungry? Are they tired? Are, you know, are they struggling at home? Um, and if I can unpack that, then that can really help me understand how to work with those kids. I think, I think that idea of, res, you know, restoration, I think is so important. I feel like right now we're at a time when people are so quick to like dismiss somebody or, you know, shut somebody down or shut somebody out. And we've lost that capacity to allow people to learn, think differently, you know, grow, take responsibility, whatever the case may be. Um, and again, I think we're we're doing this with kids, but as adults, like, are we, you know, can we look at the same thing? I I, I, I think we've, I feel like we've lost that a little bit on the adult level and, and hopefully we'll see that come back a little bit, you know, that people have that opportunity and that capacity to restore relationships or restore their place in a group mm. or in a community. I, I feel like we've lost that a little bit. What are your biggest fears or hopes? Well, I... Um, I think the future is bright. I mean, I feel like, uh, you know, I think the community has grown in a lot of really, really fantastic ways. Um, I, I do worry about, you know, um, how expensive it is to come here, you know, and I feel like does that, is that a barrier to all different kinds of people mm -hmm. being able to access the town, whether it's people that used to live here and want to come back or, you know, families that economically don't have as much as, as what the housing market dictates. That that does worry me. I, I don't want to, I, I think when you have people priced out, you lose out on diversity of all mm -hmm. kinds that um, would be would be healthy and, and good. So my, I guess a hope would be that we continue to see our city have ways that we can have all kinds of people mm -hmm. um, live here and access this town so that, you know, we, we better mirror the world around us. Mm -hmm. um, but that's also a fear if we get, if it, if it's too expensive, does that, does that limit us as a community mm -hmm. too? So I don't know, that's, that's a big weighty way to go, but I guess that's a starting point. I think you articulated my similar hopes and fears for our community. I feel like over the past, I don't know, five years I've seen, um, I love the way this community comes together. I love um, I mean, despite the fa the Facebook <laughs> vitriol, um, I do think that there is, um, I feel like when I'm downtown, I see people I know, right? I feel like it's a place where people know each other and people are connected in lots of ways here in, in ways that I haven't experienced in other communities that I've lived in. Um, and I love that about Melrose and I guess my hope is that we continue to be a community where people feel connected in that way. Um, and I am, I am fearful about, you know, are we going to lock people out? Um, and, you know, can we come together and have the will to create 
what we need in this community to make sure that that everybody has access. I think too, my hope is that we don't, um, you know, lock out different viewpoints or different experiences either. You know, and this gets back to, can we find ways as a community to better, I think, listen to one another to, you know, just to recognize that people might've had different experiences or different thoughts and that, you know, if we want people to grow and change, part of that is understanding where people are coming from mm-hmm. and and not just immediately, you know, shutting people down or excluding people from a conversation. We have to we have to be able to create spaces that have safety so that people can mm-hmm. really say what they think mm-hmm. without feeling like they're gonna be labeled or judged. Mm-hmm. Um and I, I think that's you know, that's like a different kind of of force that's I think right now really strong mm-hmm. in town and and how do we like shift the narratives to a place where people can actually engage and i think it, if we can do that mm-hmm. i think people will be i think people can come together and learn and maybe change how they think mm-hmm. but we need to create the spaces that do that and i think that's something we're struggling with a little bit as a community right now yeah people aren't sure how to go about that and can, can i can i ask this question can i say this without being labeled or judged, you know, and I, I think a lot of people really, it's an authentic, it's sincere. They want to mm-hmm. be able to understand, but they also want to feel like they're listened mm-hmm. to a little bit mm-hmm. too. And like, how do we, how do we create those spaces in government or in mm-hmm. schools or in, you know, places where dialogue's happening? Like, how do we do that? Yeah. Something like this project obviously is right. like one way to do it, but um, I think that's missing a little bit right now. And I think as I'm hearing you talk, I think a lot about, um, I see myself as very progressive and very liberal and have been engaged in um, racial justice work. And in those conversations, I feel like I see a lot of judgment coming from other white people doing that work. And I don't feel like that when we're in conversations, difficult conversations about race, um, and racism and systemic <laughs> systemic oppression and all of the things that we need to face in our society that we need to come to those conversations with compassion. Um, we need to challenge people and engage people in conversations that are hard. But I think too often I see those conversations devolve into finger pointing and name calling and it shuts down the conversation and it's not productive. I a hundred percent agree with that sentiment. I, you know, I, as an educator, I think we're probably, we're all pretty deeply involved in that mm-hmm. work. Um, and many of us have experienced why this work is so important. Um, and we've seen it affect families and kids and a hundred percent agree it, if we want people to grow and we want people to better understand other people's experiences, we have to allow that process to happen. We need to accept people where they are on their journey and move together. I think that's the thing. We need to move together and we're all on different places because of the experiences that we've had and um, what we've been exposed to or not exposed to. And um, no one's going to make any progress if we don't enter in in good faith and with compassion and empathy.
and the ability to listen. <laughs> so have you ever felt misidentified? I don't know about misidentified. I feel like I've had some experiences where people made assumptions about what I might be all about based upon maybe a group I was part of. Um, I remember when I went to college, um, I played on the football team. And when I got to my school at first, they, the older players advised, said, don't let anybody know you play football here because people won't think highly of you. And I, I feel like by the time I graduated, we had, as a team, worked hard to change reputation and, and, and um, try to have people think differently about what it meant to be an athlete. Um, so I feel like that's like a little sliver of, of, of that kind of experience. And then I think, I think on its surface, people, there are probably some people, um, who would make assumptions about somebody that grew up here that they're going to feel a certain way or maybe support certain views. And, and I just think we always have to like allow ourselves to, um, move past some of those initial designations and, and vice versa too. I feel like. You know, we hear it all the time about, well, you're not from here kind of mentality, which I think is foolish. <laughs> um, but I think people make assumptions about that stuff, you know. And so I don't know if that's misidentified, but I, th I feel like they're little ones, but sort mm -hmm. of assumptions have been made. But, you know, I recognize who I am, too. I'm a white male who, you know, from that status is in a certain place as well. So mm -hmm. I try to be aware of that and, and understand that, to recognize that. Mm -hmm. So I think I... I don't I can't think of a time where I think I've been misidentified and I think that in part that's because I'm so obviously a white lady. <laughs> you know, I kind of like fit the white lady stereotype, <laughs> I think. Um I guess I worry about being misidentified as um you know, like the a a Karen, is that, the, is that an okay <laughs> thing to say? <laughs> you know, like, I, I don't know. Um, I think it's hard in some ways to, you know, I'm, I'm in conversations with um, other white progressive women and do a lot of reading um, and in conversations with black women around the role of white women in racism. And, um, I think a lot about that. I don't, I, I, and I think white women have, it's been hard. White women have not been very trustworthy, um, in their friendships and relationships with black women. And I think I take that very seriously and try to think a lot about whether I'm a trustworthy friend. Um, and so I don't know, I guess I don't want to be identified as one of those, those white women. Um, but I also think that maybe it, it, it fits because I, I think I still have a lot of work to do in, um, in my own racism. So. Yeah. I think the, the, the work, you know, we, that never is that's not going to stop you know we always have we'll always have work to do mm -hmm. um and i think that's for me at least i feel like that's part important to recognize too that you know we have to keep keep working at it keep mm -hmm. keep learning keep considering different views 
keep growing as people, you know, that, that capacity never goes away. Right. We tell kids that all the time, lifelong learning. Right. Mm -hmm. So we have to, again, live our, live our messages, right. Show (laughs) that we, we believe in what we teach. Have you ever been upset at what was said about something that was important to you? Oh yeah. (laughs) Um, I mean, I, it just could be, I think broadly, I think it upsets me when people, I think when people make assumptions or determinations or judgments about people before really understanding what they're, what they're looking at or who they're talking to, or, you know, not, not taking the opportunity to, to, you know, taking a shortcut to a situation, you know, and that could apply in a million ways. But I feel like to me, when we don't take the time to, you know, recognize whatever's going on in front of us or, or to try to try to better understand under, you know, what someone else thinks before we just react, you know? So broadly, I feel like, you know, I, I'd say I'm a reactive person sometimes in those situations and, 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 you know, which is probably at the same time, it's what I'm still criticizing, mm-hmm. I guess. But, you know, I guess I get frustrated when people make a judgment about a place or a person before they really get to know what they're talking about. Mm. You know, broadly, I feel like it's important to do a little more listening, get to know things a little more before you, you react. Mm-hmm. But yet I think I probably react to that mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot. It's interesting as I hear you say that, I think I make a lot of judgments um, about people before. Like I just, I'm, I, and I never learn. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm constantly doing that. And then, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good at like putting my judgments in my back of my head and then having a conversation and being like, oh, that wasn't at all what I expected. <laughs> And, um, and yet I don't seem to learn from that. So, um, I don't know. I feel like I'm being very reflective right now. (laughs) You having said that, because I feel like I do that a lot. I do that a lot. You know, I, I re I consume a lot of news media, uh, and you know, it's mostly NPR and Washington Post. So I know that it's coming from those sources um, but I also wonder if I'm influenced to a certain extent by the extremes that are presented in the news. And if I come to people with an assumption that those extremes reflect everyone who's on the other side of the spectrum from me, when really in reality, I wonder if there are more people more toward the center um, than toward those extremes. And somehow our media culture is amplifying those extremes to such an extent that it's hard for us to keep in, in mind that that's, that might just be a, a small <laughs> fraction of extreme, <laughs> extreme people we're hearing from. We perceive our political differences to be so opposite in this country but if you really look at it from like a political systems view like we actually for the most part agree on a lot of the same stuff and maybe it's media maybe it's social media 
has has amp like you said, amplifies mm-hmm. the perfect word. It's amplified the differences so much that we're we're missing the broad agreement that we do have on that probably most people have. Not everybody. There's definitely <laughs> there's definitely the extremes, but I, I like that word amplify. I feel like that 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 kind of sums it up. I mean, because I think they're even amplified like on a local level, right? That some of those voices on Facebook on both ends. Um, if you look at them, it's sort of the same people over and over again, you know? So yes. <laughs> it's not it's not like it's like everybody over here and everybody over here that you kind of see the same the same players back in those in those uh comment threads again and again. So if there were more people in the conversation, um and if the conversation wasn't online, um, would we find that we have more that we agree on, do we have more common ground than sort of our communication tools that we have available to us right now um, really let us access? And I feel like there are people that have made common ground a bad thing mm-hmm. from both sides so that, you know, it's it's seen as like betrayal if you work toward consensus or work toward middle you know, the middle ground as, and it doesn't have to be the end point. It can be the starting point, but why can't we, that's become, that's what both the extremes have in common. Mm -hmm. They've both made it middle ground and compromise the worst part Mm -hmm. rather than it really should be the best part Mm -hmm. or at least a better part. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I think both, I think both ends of the spectrum do that very strongly Mm -hmm. as much as it pains me to say that. It's not like you can come in and be like, boom, this all has to change right now um, because it's not going to last, really, I, I don't think. I think for change to be to be sustainable, that it needs to happen over time and there needs to be buy-in. There, everybody needs to be on board. Um, and so if I'm working to make change, then my job is to be in relationship with everybody um, and, and, you know, doing what I can – to work together toward toward progress, <laughs> whatever whatever that might be. I don't know what the best way is, but you know, if you don't, like you said, if you go too fast and we don't get anywhere, is that is is nothing better than some? I, you know, and I, I mm-hmm. have we violated our like our values then though if we've agreed to it to mm-hmm. incremental progress versus a total change. Mm-hmm. I, I that's I don't know. I guess everyone has to settle that one for themselves, but. I think there's also a role for the people who are going to push, right? Like those, I mean, I think I'm, I'm contradicting something I said earlier, but I think there is a place for those voices who don't shut up, right? Who like are pushing and pushing and pushing, who are like driving us crazy. Um, I think we need those voices and there's a place for them because that's what moves us forward, right? And and so how do we create a space where we have those voices that are saying, no, this is really urgent, we need to move forward? Um, because I don't think silencing those voices is is the right thing either. I think we need those voices. You know, I, I, I think those are the voices that those leaders have moved us, have moved us forward. 
so here we are, white progressives having conversations with each other. And that's important, right? It's important as white people that we're talking to white people and we're having um, conversations about how to dismantle systemic racism and how do we address the years of oppression that have existed in this country, the, the trauma that exists um, for black and brown and indigenous people. And for me, the answer is relationships. It is that authentic, caring, connected relationships is how we make progress. It's how we address racism. It's how we um, begin to address, help people understand systemic racism through understanding other people's lived experiences. And once we are able to have those relationships, authentic, caring, connected relationships, then I'm going to feel more urgency around addressing systemic racism and, and the oppression that exists in this country. I think. It's a good question. <laughs> I, I think it's, for me, it starts with, I guess, from my perspective, incremental progress shouldn't be a bad word or a bad concept. And, and I, I, I see where people, I can understand why some people would disagree with that. So it's not, I'm not, I'm not angry about that. I'm not, I don't feel defensive about that. I think if you look at some of the most impactful changes that have occurred in this country, they've they've been from you know that that incremental progress mode and and maybe maybe we need to help it move faster. Um but I I think if you look at some of the biggest changes that that have that have come the word compromise is usually somewhere within there, and and it doesn't have to. It doesn't just have to be around race. Some of the most influential legislation that's passed, or laws that have been passed in a variety of areas, were born from compromise. And 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 I guess if we if we just stay at those polar sides, I only see the divide. I only see each side heart. You know, kind of like digging down further and digging in and and I think that the results are even a more a more angry polarized world that probably a whole bunch of people in the middle are, are stuck in and and so I I think we always have to be mindful of like that incremental progress might feel somebody might feel good to somebody like me and it and it may not be enough it may not be enough for somebody that's struggling or that's been treated poorly or systemically cast aside, but yet I still think incremental progress gets us closer and closer. And, and I, I guess for me, it, it I, th I think it's, I think it's the way we, I, I think it's the, it's the way forward. Um, and hopefully it gets faster and faster. I mean, I hope, hopefully with some of that incremental progress, you keep bringing more people over and you keep bringing more people into the fold and then you get momentum and suddenly incremental is bigger and bigger. I, you know, I feel like 
that, that, you know, if we could keep that going, we might get to a better place faster and, and it will be, it will be more immediate change. The urgency will grow. But right now I think we're just, I feel like we're digging in on mm-hmm. each side and we're stuck. Mm-hmm. And I don't, th- I don't think that's, that's not getting us anywhere either. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you can, I think to the people, you know, you talked about like the progressives probably versus the centrists and, you know, there's that divide even in the, in the democratic party right now. Right. That's pretty clear. I still think we can, you know, I think there's progress to be made. And, I, you know, progress is that, right? It's it's change. It's not some progress is slower, some's faster. Um, no progress is not a good thing. <laughs> I, that I can say pretty strongly. So I, I don't know where that leaves me, but that is probably the only thing I feel like I can say really strongly mm-hmm. right yeah. now. <laughs> Partly. I think they're partly afraid of change. (laughs) So the question is, is old Melrose afraid of change? And I think partly. Um, I think what a lot of old Melrose is more afraid of is not being a part of the process, not having their voice heard. Um, And there's a a bunch of issues where that plays out, but I think there aren't a lot of people that would tell you sleepy downtown is better than vibrant, fun downtown. So I, I think I think for me it's about what I think a lot of people are are missing is they just want to feel like they can be a part of the conversation. They just want to feel like that their experience is recognized along with other people's experience. And and maybe that's really about who's facilitating the conversations. I don't I don't think necessarily old Melrose versus new. I think most people want Melrose to be a good place. I don't I don't think there's like that much difference there, but I think the people that are facilitating conversations just need to do part of it is just about doing a better job so that people feel like they have a voice in the process or that they're heard even. And and that's, you know, I think that's missing in a lot of places. Well, I think you hit on something that I, I, I think is part of the problem. It's like this personal attack that we do to people. Yeah. Right, where I'm going to make assumptions about who you are um, because, uh, you know, I researched you online or whatever that, and I'm going to make comments about that. And it's going to become about you instead of about whatever this issue is that we're trying to resolve as a community. And so I feel like there needs to be a place for us as a community to be in conversation with each other where we get to know each other, right? So now going back to restorative practices, right? Which is the work that I do is we begin, right? So we look at discipline, right? Which is, is what we're trying to do is, is um, prevent misbehavior and then have a way to deal with misbehavior, but it's through building connections and community and relationships. And so if you don't have a forum for conversation and a way to be in conversation with each other, not about the hard stuff. You can't jump right to the hard stuff. You have to start by saying, this is who I am, by just getting to know each other, telling funny stories, talking about your background, just what we're doing here today, right? Um, So that we build a rapport. And so I see you as a human being um, and not as an adversary, and 
And I don't think we can be in these conversations until we're in relationship with one another. And I don't think it it's that hard to do, right? We can start, we can have community conversations where we start by just telling stories about who we are. Um, and then in that process, get to the harder conversations. But I'm going to be more open to hearing from you if I've started by hearing about, you know, a crazy story about your childhood, right? I'm going to see you as a human being. Um, and I think that's what's missing. We don't see each other as human beings. And, you know, these these conversations are are dead on arrival if if we just come into it already seeing the other person as as bad. I do believe that if we have an opportunity or multiple opportunities to be in conversation with each other as human beings. I I do think I I I'm saying that about progressive Melrose. I think progressive Melrose can make space for for old Melrose um, because I do believe that through connection and through relationships we can make space for each other. Um, but I think it needs it's about the right platform. Thanks, Beth. <laughs> Thanks, Adam. It's great meeting you. Very nice to meet you. <laughs>